Well, good evening. I'm here to welcome to Zion on this first week in Lent. And uh, happy to have all of you here with us on these, these Wednesday services. So, as you know, I like to stand down here on these Wednesday services and be a little less formal. Uh, and so during my sermon, my reflection, uh, feel free if you have any questions, if there are any discussion points, anything comes to mind, I'll take time. And if you have anything on mind, please, please share it with us as we, as we walk through scripture with one another. So our service tonight will begin with hymn 339, Christ the life of all the living. Continue our service on page 309. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Stay with us, Lord, for it is evening. Let your light scatter the darkness. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Turn us again, O God of our salvation. May your justice shine like the sun. The Lord be with you. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. We give you thanks, O God, for in the beginning you called light into being, and you set lights in the sky to govern night and day. In a pillar of cloud by day, in a pillar of fire by night, you led your people into freedom. Enlighten our darkness by the light of your Christ. May your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. For you are merciful, and you love your whole creation. And with all your creatures we give you glory. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, and the unity of the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Amen.
invite you to read Psalm 145 responsibly with me. I will exalt you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day will I bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. There is no end to your greatness. I will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and all your marvelous works. They shall tell of the might of your wondrous acts, and I will recount your greatness. They shall publish the remembrance of your great goodness. They shall sing joyfully of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Lord, you are good to all, and your compassion is over all your works. They shall tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your power. That all people may know of your power and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all ages. You, Lord, are faithful in all your words and loving in all your works. The eyes of all wait upon you, O Lord, and you give them their food in due season. You open wide your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. You are righteous in all your ways and loving in all your works. You are leaders of all who call upon you, to all who call upon you faithfully. You fulfill the desire of those who fear you. You hear their cry and save them. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless God's holy name forever and ever. And now we continue with song number 347, Go to Dark Gethsemane.
And our reading for tonight comes from the Gospel of John, the 17th chapter. I'm going to read verses 1 through 25. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all people, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name, that you have given me, so that they may be one, as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name, that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost, except the one destined to be lost so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one, they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and I have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these ones know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Well, tonight we look at the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. That's kind of our driving theme. And so in the Lord's Prayer, the very first thing that we ask of the Lord is that his name be hallowed. Right? Hallowed be thy name. And so it's interesting here that John 17 and this, the context here, of course, is this is part of Jesus' final prayer, the night in which he's betrayed. And so we get the text of this very wonderful and intimate and personal prayer that Christ is making to the Father. You know, and, and how he ends that prayer is, I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. Right, I have made your name known. Right, Christ makes God's name known in the world. Right, that is, he shows the world just who God is. He shows the world God's identity, 
God's character. Right? Our names come to represent who we are. Right? If someone besmirches your name, you know, they're speaking badly about your reputation, about your character. And so our names become synonymous with our character, with who we are, with our personality and our identity. Well, in the same way, Christ is using God's name here, right? That he's revealing to the world just who God is, what God's character is, who God is for the world. So I think it's important to start as we start talking about the Lord's Prayer and talking about this first petition, hallowed be thy name, to talk specifically about God's name. And so God's name itself is a very significant theme in scripture. And so before I dive into that, I do want to just make a comment about reading the Bible and reading scripture. So there are many different ways we read the Bible and many different things we do with the Bible. So sometimes we read the Bible for one verse or for a few verses together. Right? We may read one verse and find particular inspiration in that. And I think that's good and that's worthwhile. Or Sunday morning, you know, we read a passage from different parts of the Bible, but just a few verses, we get a, just a snippet of the scripture. Uh, sometimes, like in Bible studies, we might read through an entire book of scripture and talk about you know, one particular book and its context and its setting and what the argument of this book is. Um, and I think that's good and worthwhile too. Uh, but the final way that we really read scripture is really the Bible as one complete whole book itself. Right? And within that one book of scripture, there are themes and topics, motifs that are woven in through the various different books, the different genres in the Bible that show up over and over. So when you think of the Bible like that and you read the Bible like that, you know, it's kind of, I don't know if you like classical music, right? But if you go to a symphony, right, a composer will start with a basic musical theme or a musical idea, and it's developed throughout the whole symphony, right? Throughout the whole piece of music, this theme is repeated in different ways and it's developed in different ways. Uh, well, the Bible is, does something similar to this with many different themes and many different topics that will start in Genesis with a particular theme and it's developed throughout the Old Testament and then in the New Testament it becomes, it blossoms into something even more apparent, more light-filled, more glorious in the person of Christ. Right, and we see this theme from beginning to end, and we see how it's developed in the person of Christ. And so when we talk about God's name, it's a similar idea. That God's name is a theme that we see throughout Scripture. Right? And so when Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be thy name, right, we want to see it in the context of how God's name is used throughout the whole Bible, right? Because it's significant. And the people and the disciples Jesus was speaking to when he was teaching them this prayer, they would have picked up on that significance. They would have known that the name of God was an important theme throughout the Bible, so throughout the Old Testament. Okay, so the first place that really it becomes the significant theme and the theme that's going to carry on throughout the Bible is in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, and here at the story of Moses at the burning bush, right, that's all, all a story you know. But it's here in Exodus 3 that God reveals his name to Moses and to his people. So looking at Exodus 3 and this verses 13 through 15, of course, the story you know at the burning bush, and uh, God is sending Moses to Pharaoh, right, to say, let my people go so that they may worship me. But Moses here replies to God, but Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? 
What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. Right, so God here gives his name to Moses. Right, and first it's remarkable, just to think that God here has a name, which we'll talk about in a second. But now here he's giving it to Moses to the first time. And of course, what does he tell Moses that his name is? Well, he says his name, God's name, is I am who I am. Right, and so the English here makes this much more complicated uh, than it needs to be. But in Hebrew, it's really this four letters that gets translated, I am who I am. And those four letters are something like YHWH. And maybe you've seen that in your Bibles before. Um, but this is a play on words in the Hebrew. And so God's name could be translated, I am. I am who I am. I am who I will be. Right? And so there's this sense in which God's name, I am, I am who I will be. Right? That God himself is existence. God just is. Right? That God had no beginning. God has no end. That God just is. Right? And so God's name here in Exodus, it signifies first kind of his transcendence that in one way we can't touch God. Right? We can't quantify God. We can't put God in a box. He's not like other gods. He's not a mortal creature. There's something about God that, that transcends all of that. Yet he gives Moses a name to call him. And so in giving him this name, God is telling Moses, actually, I am near to you. You can't call out to me. Right? This is what I respond to. And so we see God that's beyond our knowing, but also God who shows himself to us as a God that we can know. Right, and so God's name here becomes holy, as we know. So you, you might know this, but in the Old Testament, in the scripture, so often God is called Lord or Lord God. Right, and so most of your Bible translations, if you're reading the Old Testament, right, Lord will be all capital L-O-R-D. Right, and so that's standing in place for God's name. Right, these four letters that represent God's name. Because the Jewish people thought this name was so holy, they did not say it. Uh, they only said Lord because they wanted to keep God's name special and holy. And so their practice was simply to say Adonai, uh, to say Lord, rather than saying God's name. So even now, Orthodox Jewish folks and and conservative Jews will not use God's name. Um, you know, it's simply Lord or Adonai. God's name represents this holiness that you cannot, you cannot name. Um, what's interesting here, though, the difference that we're supposed to see between God and everything else in being is that God names himself and God reveals his name to Moses. Okay, so if, if we think about this, think about the beginning of the book of Genesis, right? And you know the story of Adam and God says, it's not good for Adam to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone, right? And so in Genesis 2, the first thing he does for Adam is he makes all these animals and he brings the animals to Adam, right? And he says, Adam, name these animals, right? As I think verse 20 there says, the man gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the air, 
and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper or a partner. Right? So there's a sense in which man does not have an equal because these are just things that he names. Right? If you name something, you have a bit of control over it or you have responsibility for it. Right? You get to name your children because, well, they're your children. You have responsibility for them. You are part of their coming into the world, so you, you name them, and they bear your name, but you name them, so you have some control and responsibility over them. So just like Adam here, he's given these animals, and he has authority over them, right? and he gets to give them their names. Well, who names God? Right? Well, only God, in the scriptures, only God names God. Right? There is no authority over God. No one controls God. No one has a grasp of God. Right? That only God shares his name with us. And so he shares it with us as a kind of blessing, as a kind of gift. Right? He says, when you want to call out to me, well, here's my name. That's who I am. Right? We do not get to name him. So you know, it's not as if we're creating a God named Zeus. Right, or Baal, or Asherah, or whatever. You know, those gods are gods that humans named, that humans fashioned in their own image. But this God, however, is the I am. The I am who I am, the I will be who I will be. We can't name him. And we only know him because he's given himself to us as a gift. Okay, so with that in mind then, this idea that the name of God is something holy, right? Because his name is itself a gift and a revelation, right? Which is why out of the Ten Commandments, right, we get the commandment not to take God's name in vain, not to take the Lord's name in vain, right? So growing up, many of us probably understood that mostly in terms of cursing, Right? There's one curse word you better not say, um, and that, that's violating the second commandment, which is true, and that's right. You know, we don't use the Lord's name frivolously here, but the commandment itself is bigger than that. Right? It's saying, guard God's name. In other words, guard who God is for you. Right? Keep that separate and keep that holy, because God has given himself as a gift to you. He's shown himself to you as one to call out upon, one to trust in, as the one who is your father and who loves you. Right? And so it's not simply just about the name, but it's about who God is in our lives, which is what the commandment's really about. Right? So for Luther, he'll say, you know, we take God's name in vain when we live in the world as if God isn't real, right? If we're out in the world and we say that we're Christians and we say that we believe in God, but we don't show it, we don't act like it, we put our trust and our faith somewhere else, well, we're violating that commandment because we're not understanding just how special and how holy God is for us, right? And so God's name becomes this important theme in the Old Testament because it shows us that God wants us to know him. He wants to be revealed to us. Okay, uh, this gets further developed, and God's name is never, ever in the scripture a trivial issue. God's name is always to be set apart. So as, as this theme develops in the Old Testament, there's this great scene in the book of Chronicles, which I won't read it all to you, right? But you'll remember that King David wants to build a temple for the Lord. And God says to David, no, you're a man of war. I'm going to have your son Solomon, a man of peace, build this temple for me. And so in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, God's giving directions to Solomon about how to build this temple, what this temple is to be, what it's to look like, 
all the specific details that go into this temple. But one of the things God says to Solomon in that chapter is you're going to build a house for my name. Right? I think that's a remarkable phrase, a house for my name. Right? And so it should show us that God's name, it's not, you know, simply a title. It's not simply, you know, something irreverent. We can just call God as if we can name God ourselves. Right? Rather, God's name comes to represent his glory, his person, who he is. And in fact, God tells Solomon, build a house for my name. Right? Build a house that will show the world God's character. You know, this was meant to show the nations and the Gentiles just who God is. You know, that this is going to be a beautiful place of worship, a beautiful place of sacrifice. It's going to show just how beautiful God is, how majestic God is, how lovely God is. A house for my name. A house to be revealed to the people so they know who God is. Right, so with that Old Testament kind of context of the reverence of God's name and the understanding of who God is through his name, we see this then developed through Christ. And so what we read this evening in John chapter 17, right, Christ says, I have made your name known to the world. I have shown who you are to the world. And of course, what's remarkable here is in John 17, Christ specifically talks about the unity he has with the Father. Right? So who the Father is, Christ has shown by being who he is. In other words, Christ is the embodiment of God's name. Right? Christ himself, like the temple, becomes a house for the name of God. Christ is showing who God is to the world. And so in the New Testament, through Christ, God names himself very specifically for us. And he names himself in the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? God has now revealed himself to us in three persons, very specifically, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's how we come to name God now. Right? As, as the three persons who are one. And so thinking about what that might mean for us, you know, we think about, when we think about God naming himself and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you know, I think naturally, and especially as Lutherans, we should think about baptism, right? Christ sends his disciples out into the world and says, go baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And why is that significant? Because when we're baptized, then we ourselves are being renamed Right, we ourselves are giving a new identity. And we're, giving, we're given by Christ in baptism the name of God. Right, we're named in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right, God has put his name essentially on our, on our forehead. Right, he's claimed us. And he said, I'm sharing my name with you. I'm sharing my glory with you. I'm sharing who I am with you. So now we're forever linked to God, right? Who God is now is also who we are. And what does that mean? Well, just as God is the I am who never ends, God is saying, in me, you do not have an end, right? In me is your being, right? You, you will always be in my presence. You will always have your being in me. And so we're ones who are now marked with the name of God. Right, so now, back to the Lord's Prayer, as, as we think about how that developed in the Bible, we pray then, you know, hallowed be thy name, holy be your name. In other words, holy, of course, is a way to say set apart. Right, it's set apart as something special, is what holy means and so when we pray, hallowed be thy name, right, well, what we're really praying is hallowed be your name in us. Right? We're marked with God's name, so now let that name shine through us. 
Let it be holy in us. And we think about John 17, which we just read here. You know, what does that look like? What does it look like to make God's name holy in us? Well, it's to show who God is in the world through us. You know, it's this idea of Christ will go on to say, you know, love one another as I have loved you. Right? That's what it means to make God's name holy in this world. Because when we love one another, when we commit to one another, when we put God first and become one community and one people, we're showing the world just who God is. Right? And so when we pray, hallowed be thy name, you know, that's what we're praying for. We're praying that the world will see us and will see us as one marked by God's name. And they'll glorify God because of us. Right? So that's what that petition is really getting at. Right? Make us witnesses to your name. Make us houses for your name. Make us one with Christ so that the world will know your name and give glory to you. And I promised I would stop for questions or discussion, and I didn't, and I apologize, so I'll do better next week. So our service continues on page 314. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by the Son. And our gospel canticle continues with hymn 251 of the Magnificat, My Soul Proclaims Your Greatness. This time we'll continue our worship by giving of an offering.
And I'll invite you to stand as we continue with the prayers on page 316. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the health of the creation, for abundant harvest that all may share, and for peaceful times, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For public servants, the government, and those who protect us, for those who work to bring peace, justice, healing, and protection in this and every place, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who travel, for those who are sick and suffering, and for those who are in captivity, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For deliverance in the time of affliction, wrath, danger, and need, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all servants of the church, for this assembly, and for all people who await from the Lord great and abundant mercy, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Giving thanks for all who have gone before us and are at rest, rejoicing in the communion of all the saints, we commend ourselves, one another, and our whole life to you, through Christ our Lord. To you, O Lord. O God, from whom come all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to us, your servants, that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and also that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may live in peace and quietness. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, God forever. Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. And the Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you. Amen. Amen. And now the peace of Christ be with you always. And I invite you to share signs of Christ's peace with one another as you depart. We're not quite ready to depart. I shouldn't have said that. But, so we will... Uh, we will end with number 440. So in peace and joy, I now depart.
go in peace. Christ is with you.